afternoon. Welcome to the panel RNZ National. We are on iHeart, Spotify, Apple, the RNZ app. If you can't catch us live, that's where you'll find us. Now, uh, reports of a crash on State Highway 1 just north of Taupo. Consider delaying your journey or expect delays and possible diversions. That's Waka Kotahi there. Also, State Highway 33, Tikiteri to Paingaroa, fallen trees. So due to those trees, State Highway 33 there is under stop-go traffic management at a site near the intersection with Maniatutu Road. So uh, expect some delays there. This first, something very, very big is happening across the Tasman. The Voice referendum, the Albanese government has proposed to enshrine in the Constitution an Indigenous voice to Parliament, a referendum next month. John Farnham's for it, saying he gave permission for the song's use, saying, I can only hope that now it might help in some small way to change the lives of our First Nations peoples for the better. And Megan Davis, Uluru Dialogue Coach, here said, well, you don't get anything bigger than John Farnham. But in a shock Guardian poll recently, more respondents say a hard no than a hard yes. But it is early days. With us, James Blackwell, Rudgery Research Fellow at the Australian National University, also a member of the Uluru Dialogue, James Kiora. Great to have you on the panel in New Zealand. Great to be here. Are you surprised by this poll? Uh, surprised? No. Disappointed? I mean, obviously. Um, I do think, though, you know, we are, as you said in the intro, you know, we are still a few a few weeks out. I think most Australians aren't really switching on until about this moment. You know, we've still got a good month and a bit to go. And so I, you know, I hope we can, we can turn it around before then. Um, a quick explainer on the voice, James, why the referendum? Why now? Yeah. So this idea of a voice is essentially to have a, an advisory body to our parliament. Now we've had bodies like this before. What defines them all though, is that they've all been, disbanded or, you know, or shut down. So what the referendum does is make sure that it's in place in our constitution as a permanent structure. So Indigenous peoples, you know, we, we, we can speak to government, we can speak to parliament about matters that affect us and hopefully ensure better policy and, and you know, change, change for our people. Ella. I, I think it's such a wonderful thing. Kia ora, James. Thank you. Uh, about this poll, I'm really interested in who was polled, what the uh, margin of error is, because I'm always a bit wary of polls around political issues. But but I agree with you. It's still a long way out. And maybe that negative poll will galvanise more people to think about it. I think it's absolutely fabulous that Johnny Farnham has, has gifted his music for this, because he is such a, a cultural icon in Australia. And for him to come out and advocate on behalf of The Voice, I think, is a really wonderful thing. I absolutely, as a Māori woman, support the aspirations behind the voice, that you have a guaranteed legitimate voice always at the parliamentary level that is not a victim of political whim. So, you know, as we say in our culture, kia kaha, be strong, brother, because uh, it's going to be an important year for your brothers and sisters in the Aboriginal Torres Strait Island community. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, definitely. It's going to be a very long you know, a couple of weeks, but I think, you know, we are, we are standing strong together. You know, 80% of our mob support this referendum, and it's really important that we are, that we stand together. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with regards to 
misinformation and racism, but definitely, you know, we uh, we we will get there. Now, Joe, we'll get, uh, Connor's got Connor will um, jump in soon. Oh, we're just trying to fix a line so he can hear a bit clearer there on Zoom. James, as I understand it, you, you you reside personally in a smaller community, rural, if I if I if I if I um, uh, understand correctly. How do people around you feel about this? What are they saying to you about the voice referendum? Yeah, you are correct. I do live in a town of about 2,000 people, uh, about, about an hour and a half from Canberra. So definitely very small, rural, and very conservative area. I think in my community, you know, there's kind of a mixed, it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's definitely a lot of people who are, you know, unhappy about the idea of, of a voice, who are very re- reluctant to support it, who are very kind of antagonistic towards any anything that's kind of coming from the left wing of politics. With, of course, this hasn't come from the left wing of politics, it's come from our own communities, but Nonetheless, that's the view that, you know, has been sort of circulating in the media. So there are a lot of people who are kind of very, very much against this idea in my own town. Obviously, we are, we are having or planning to have information sessions coming up to the referendum here in, here in the local council area. So hopefully, you know, we can talk to some people. But there are still many people in the town who are supportive, but I just don't think they're as public as you might see in the inner city because, again, you know, living in a very conservative area, uh, people are less reluctant, I think, or sorry, more reluctant, I think, to kind of come Come on board. I'm definitely the only person in town with a vote yes call fruit in front of the house. Okay. But again, we're still, we're still five weeks out, so I'm hoping to convince some of my neighbours. All right. Well, let's go to our other panellists, Connor English. Can you hear us, uh, Connor? What's your thoughts? I can. Yes, I can. Thanks, Wallace. Um, well, look, I think it's really important that any government engages with its, you know, all its community. I guess the, it just seems complicated. Uh, I, I don't understand the, the structure. But... Um, isn't, do you have to have a referendum in order to enable, um, you know, the Indigenous people to actually talk to government? I mean, I mean, here in New Zealand, we have a range of institutional arrangements that don't require a referendum, but enable people to have institutions with which to communicate with government. I'm just wondering why, why do you have to go to the constitutional way and have a referendum? Why can't you just talk to people? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think there's two kind of answers to that question. The first is kind of the key distinction legally between Aotearoa and here, which is that you guys do have a treaty framework underpinning a lot of your Maori state inter- interactions. We don't have a treaty framework here in Australia. We don't have any form of recognition of Indigenous peoples here in Australia. So there is no legal kind of underpinning for that, so we, which kind of re- requires that referendum to kind of pursue that. Secondly, is we you know we have had voices before. Right. We have had similar bodies, and all of them kind of get disbanded very quickly when, when they when they get difficult or they kind of get shut down for various reasons. And what we're trying to look for here is to say something that's permanent, that has that longevity, that has the security of a constitution. Because you know, referendums here in Australia are quite hard. They are they are very difficult. So that does mean if we have a referendum to enshrine a voice, it does mean that it would require another referendum to remove it. Uh, Ella, I I agree um, that we don't you don't have the benefit of Te Tiriti or Waitangi, which has underpinned a great deal of social reform in this country. Um, so I think that's a really important recognition that New Ze- many New Zealanders don't have about the situation. But I'm also aware that what until the 1960s you weren't even considered human. You were you were what was it, Terra Nullius? Well, it was the 67 census. Is that right, James? Yes, yeah, so up until the up until nineteen sixty seven, when we had a referendum on the issue, indigenous people weren't counted in the census for political apportionment, and the government wasn't even allowed to make laws for us. As or the, the federal government wasn't allowed to make laws for us as people. So it's only it's only you know fifty five, fifty six years ago that we were even included in the federal system of, of, of politics, and even then only 
in the 1962 were we allowed to vote in federal elections. So well, it's hang really on, hang on. If you, if, if, you, if you weren't counted in the 1967 census, f- uh, Aboriginals, uh, Aboriginal peoples, what, what were you counted as? Were you just not counted? We just weren't counted for the yeah. We just we just weren't counted. They were not well, human we beings. We were counted in the form of protectionism. We, we, we were counted in, in order to be rounded up, essentially. So, James, the people who who don't want to vote for it or say they don't want to vote for it, what do they see as the downside? What why what, what's the problem? Hmm. I think for one of the no voters, I think it's a, definitely a cynicism of of, of government. That, you know, this, that, that this is going to add more layers of bureaucracy. It's going to be in, in, uh, more difficult for government to function. There also is a lot of misinformation around this. I want to focus saying that, you know, this referendum adds race to the Constitution, which, of course, it doesn't do, and we already have race in our Constitution explicitly. Um, it's just talk about, you know, that, that it divides on the issues of race, that it gives indigenous people more rights than the rest of the country. So there's a bit of misinformation, but also I think generally... Uh, level of sort of cynicism about the role of government in our society. It's certainly very interesting. Some people are trying to get their heads around it. The speaker says, this voice thing, it's appalling that in a modern country it is even seen fit to ask the population if an Indigenous minority should be represented in government. I'm aghast and reminded why I haven't wanted to live in a country where the air is thick with racism. Can I ask you, some people are asking, what is pretty blunt, James, is Australia a racist country? It's funny, only in New Zealand would you guys ask me this question. This is not a question the Australian media would ever think to ask. So, firstly, thank you for the question because we don't get that question en- enough here. I think definitely, <laughs> I think definitely yes. I think there's a lot of structural, systemic racism in Australia. I think the idea about how ha- having the majority vote on the minority is concerning, but it's important to remember that this proposal has come from our communities. There was a, a, a national comprehensive, you know, um, process in 2015, 16 and 17 around what kind of referendum we as Indigenous peoples would like to see, and the voice to parliament was, was what we asked for. So really, this is actually our request to the Australian people saying, please work with us. Please join us on this journey. So it's definitely not... Us asking the uh, asking the majority to recognise us, it's asking us saying to people, "This is what we need. This is what we want. Please, please join us." In this. Well, we'll see where it goes, and hopefully, James, we might get you back on on October fifteen, uh, the day after the referendum. <laughs> uh, big days ahead. I know you're busy, but uh, thank you for your time anyway for this afternoon. Thank you. Yeah. I, I will say October October fifteen. I'll be on a plane to New Zealand, so perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora. <laughs> Good on you, James. That's James Blackwell-Wiradjuri, Research Fellow at Australian National University, 19 past for the panel. It's taken an horrific case for politicians to finally explore making stalking an offence punishable by prison. Labour is looking at reviewing laws around stalking. Last year, AUT student Fazana Yakubi was murdered by a man who had been harassing her for months sentenced to 17 years in prison after pleading guilty. Advocates for the safety of women and children say the case has highlighted a gap in the law they've been trying to close for years. Unlike Australia, the US, UK, stalking is not included in the Crimes Act here. With us is Leonie Morris, Coalition for the Safety of Women and Children Coordinator. Uh, Welcome, Leonie. Thank you, Walla. Many Kiwis listening to this might no doubt be quite shocked that stalking is not included 
in the crimes, given the context we've been talking about, namely this shocking case here? Yes, most people do think that stalking is illegal in New Zealand, but actually while various types of stalking-related conduct are prohibited across several laws, the legislation is so fragmented, piecemeal, out of date and poorly understood that it's, it's effectively ineffective. So today, Labour announced it will review the legislation to bring stalking and harassment laws in line with, you know, the likes of overseas. What do you think? We're very pleased that um, they've made this announcement. It's um, it's actually something that needs to be done urgently. Um, women are are especially at risk of stalking, and stalking causes extreme harm to victims. It, it can appear from the outside to be tri- trivial, but actually over time, um, victims' uh, mental health, ability to work and attend education becomes eroded, and stalkers es- escalate their violence over time. The most at-risk women are women who are stalked by ex-partners. So when the police do act on stalking, they can potentially prevent a homicide. Let's bring our panel, Ella. Well, I mean, look, I absolutely applaud these changes, but the reality is protection orders, which is what women currently have or what victims or potential victims currently have, uh, we found it to be actually not particularly effective. The number of of women who've been harmed that have had protection orders shows they're not strong enough or robust enough. What's your view about that? We agree with you entirely on that, and we've been lobbying for years um, for the courts to make uh, take breaches of protection order more seriously. And this work that we're doing on stalking, that's part, part of our work on stalking will be around asking the police to take, sorry, the courts to take breaches of protection orders more seriously. Connor English? Uh yeah, I don't know. I, I've never been stalked, but I imagine it would be terrible to be stalked. Um, so if they can make some change that makes it uh, easier to protect people, well, that's that's a good thing, isn't it? And, and in a protection order thing, uh, I take your point. Um, if people are breaching them and, and there's no consequence, they're just going to keep breaching yeah. them, aren't they? So, um, you know, it's up to the courts, isn't it? They need to, to be, take it a bit more seriously. Well, I've got a question too, Leone. I mean... Uh... Is it a quite a complex area if it comes before a court? Now, Labor's Ginny Anderson said it's actually quite difficult to prove and stalking is actually quite difficult to define. We don't believe it's difficult to prove. I mean, if you look at the um, case of uh, Fazana Yakubi, um, she had documented everything that he had done to her. Um, she had all his messages For example, if you don't want to say anything, I will kidnap you and give you 365 days to fall in love with me. I will throw acid in your face. She had all this um, information that she gave to the police and the police seemingly did nothing. 
I know it was very awful for our community in the AUT Law School where she was one of our bright light students. That's and such a shocking a case. A number hey? of people were just mm. devastated that she, as a law student, knew what her rights were and was trying to exercise them by keeping such assiduous records. It's quite harrowing because this is two, two years and she tried absolutely everything. Yeah, so there exactly. are gaps. gaps. Yeah, all right. um, yeah, it's a big gap. Okay. And you asked, um, it's not difficult to, to define stalking. It's defined in um, many, um, the, the countries overseas have stalking laws. Most of Europe, all of the states in um, the USA and in Australia have stalking laws. And they define stalking as unwanted repetitive and persistent intrusions into a person's life. So that's fairly clear. Leonie, kia ora. Very good to have you here. Leonie Morris there, Coalition for the Safety of Women and Children Coordinator. So that's uh, that story of um, uh, trying to get uh, stalking perhaps into the Crimes Act. Uh, It's not at the moment, but it is in the US, the UK. And Australia. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National. We have Connor English. We've got Dr. Uh, Ella Henry. Thank you for your uh, feedback. We're get, getting most feedback actually about loneliness and your views on loneliness. How loneliness is affecting you? And it's actually quite a um, quite a subject uh, by the text we're getting through. So we may sort of return to that uh, or read some feedback out actually. But to this national. As you know, yesterday they want to beef up the electric vehicle infrastructure. 10,000 charges nationwide. Quite a big roll out there. And some of you got in touch, said, well, you can't tow with an EV. If you want to pull a load of bark, you can't do it. If you want to shift your flat, you can't tow with an EV. And Mike got in touch. Mike... He's got an EV ute. He's with us. Welcome, Mike. Good, how you doing? Good. Can you tow, Mike? I can tow, yep. And, well, all electrics can tow. No, yeah. but how well can you tow? What, what can well, you tow? A bucket of water? No, no, you can tow everything you can normally tow. You just can't tow it as far as you could before. So what do you so, tow? What do you tow? Okay, well, um, I'm a Sparky, and we do solar, and I carry all the edge protection and safety gear in a trailer. And it's steel and aluminium. Um, it's a single-axle trailer, but it's still you don't want to be trying to move it around on your own. And when I don't have it on, I go about 400 k's. When I do have it on, mm-hmm. I'm about 300 k's. Okay, so that, charge. okay, so that's quite a quite a load you're carrying there as a Sparky. Yeah, it's there's a lot of copper in the back of it. The usual owns three ton, and I have no idea what wow. the trailer is when it's loaded up. Far so, um, out. Yeah, Connor. But um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess the first thing you need is a tow bar, isn't it? And a lot of those EVs don't have tow bars. And um, but I, what what you were saying there, Mike, is that you use a you know a bit more fuel, twenty five percent more fuel if you're towing something. Oh, so I can see why people right. might be. Can, might be concerned right. if they have a 400-kilometre journey, and uh, which they can go without a trailer, but they can only go 300 if they have a trailer. So I could see yeah. how that could be a wee bit inconvenient. Yeah. So courses for horses, because I don't go 400 yeah. k's in the workday. Yeah, so it's, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So around town, I'd but be I fine. Cer- yeah, but I certainly do a lot of 200 k days without an issue. 
Oh, okay. All right. So that puts that to rest. Then everyone who got in touch with me said, you can't tow. Here, here this guy's towing all of the stuff in his scaffolding. Ella. Well, <clears throat> good on you. I'm really happy for you. I, I have to say, and I'm going to have to put this out mm. there, I'm very torn on electric vehicles. Morally, I think they're wonderful, but the reality is until we can figure out how to ensure the batteries are not filled with cobalt and lithium that has been farmed and, and mined by sl- enslaved children, as we've seen images of, um, the reality is most of our batteries, whether it's in our phones or What's our in front of you right now? In front of me right now there's blood on my phone and and I'm torn by that. I want us to come up with alternative strategies that do not require the exploitation of our most vulnerable. That's a fair point Mike. Yeah, no I hear hear totally what you say there. Um, Never really thought the petrol industry was completely guilt free either though it's not saying two wrongs make a right but um, you know it's but, yeah, this is a situation. I had two choices. I could either stay with diesel or try the electric. And, yeah, it is dirty. But, um, yeah, the Mike, other option's not going to work. Mike, I want, I want from one tradie to another listing out there uh, on the job right now, an electric ute, how you find it? It's, it's a ute. It's fine. It does exactly what a ute does. It, um, it pulls everything. Um they do tow. Trains are electric and they tow. <laughs> Trains are diesel electric. You got um, me, all I right. Saw, I saw a Nissan Leaf at the rubbish dump a couple of months back with a trailer on it. Are you sure it was Nissan Leaf? I took a photo of it. Okay. I took a photo out and sent it to you if you want. And I had a tow ball on my Prius before I had this ute. So um, they do tow, they just don't tow as far. Now, a question for you, a few questions for you, Mike. How yep. much does it cost to charge the electric ute each workday? Um, about four, for a full charge overnight. I'll go, I've got some figures, deep figures here on a back of an envelope for you. A full charge at a charging station with um, one of the charging net stations cost me 62 bucks, right? Because I've got that linked to my power account with my power company, that then I pay my home rate. So I pay $9.90 for that. And if I charge after 9 o'clock at night at a public charge station and linked back to my power account, I pay $4.50 for a 400k range. Well, that's a big subsidy, isn't it? That's quite well, no, something. That's, that's not a that's not a subsidy. Two bucks to four bucks. Okay, what's that? That's my. Yeah, that's it, my yeah, it's it's just... Connor. Connor's got a question here for you, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm just sort of wondering how you can buy sixty-two dollars worth of electricity for four dollars without it being a subsidy. Because I mean, maybe that's a great thing. Well, no, that's what I'd pay at home, and it's just the two are linked together because I've got this. Right. Uh, it's got to do with solar as well. But it's um, my power, which gets sold out to the grid. I'm just buying back through a different tap, if that makes sense. Well, you're a wonderful green contractor with solar at home and electric vehicles. I, I'm, all, I'm bowing. I'm literally I'm bowing in praise to you. Connor, are you convinced you're on, you're on the farm there? Can you close your eyes, picture yourself um, picking up the car? I don't know what you put in the ute if you're on a farm. What do you put? Hey? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have electric. Electric uh, tractors and cars and trucks. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't. Uh, they're very efficient. 
you know, and they are strong and powerful and they go very fast like him. So, um, all, all, all power to your arm. But I just yeah. think you need to be paying the market rate for things, that's all. Yeah, well, I feel I am paying a market rate because I'm paying the same for my power. I'm just paying the same for my power somewhere else. Hmm. Mike, yeah. great, you know, really great to have you go. on. People are really interested. One more question before you go. People are interested about your towing. Um, Mike, I'm wanting to buy a caravan. Um, could I tow a caravan with an electric ute? Yeah, I don't know about towing one of those really, really big winnebago kind of things. But, um, like, say, I wouldn't tow a massive boat behind it because I don't have one, but I'd have absolutely no fear towing a small boat behind one would make no difference to it. Oh, good on you, Mike. Hey, but th- I don't know much about caravans. Thanks for being part yeah. of the panel. Um, well, good on you. That's uh, Mike there who, uh, yeah, a lot of response uh, on that. You are on the panel, uh, NZ uh, National, with uh, Dr. Ali Henry and Connor English.